This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment, all about bankruptcy, and I think it's a really good one. I did a lot of reading ahead on it just to figure it all out. And bankruptcy is one of those words that certainly has a huge impact on Mm -hmm. people, right? It's got a big punch to it. Uh, But in Canada and our bankruptcy laws, lots of folks experience debt problems. And there's a lot of fear, misgivings, misunderstandings about it. Um, And I know that you guys, you and and everybody at Sands & Associates, talk to people about bankruptcy bankruptcy every day. Uh, what are some of the questions that you hear the most from folks? Yeah, there's there's just a ton of misunderstandings, Elaine, and you're, you're right in that it's a word that most people think they kind of know what it means, but it's got this just emotional heavyweight that comes along with it as a, oh my God, I could never see myself going through bankruptcy. I could never be a bankrupt. And from my point of view, having helped people for more than 13 years now, um, you know, it's often something you don't see it coming, uh, but bankruptcy can be just the best possible way to turn your life around from a path where you feel hopeless hopelessly in debt, unable to honor your obligations, you know, unable to basically put food on the table sometimes, to a future where you've gotten rid of that burden of debt, you can restructure and start again with a new lease on life. So, okay. so today we're going to hit a bunch of really frequently asked questions about bankruptcy. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting if someone's listening and thinking, you know, oh, maybe I thought this was true or not. There's probably at least one or two of your misconceptions that will probably be disproven. Okay, well, let's start at the very beginning mm-hmm. and give us a, just a, a really good, solid definition of what is bankruptcy. Yeah, so bankruptcy, it's a legal process. It's only available through a licensed insolvency trustee. And it's a process that allows you to eliminate your debts of either a person or a business in the event that you're unable to repay things. So bankruptcy in Canada, it's typically, um, it's something that you do on your own. I've seen about one time in more than 13 years of practice where someone was forced into bankruptcy. For the most part, people make what's called a voluntary assignment into bankruptcy. They sit down with a trustee, they look at the numbers, they realize, oh my God, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I will never pay this debt off, or maybe they're being sued, their wages are being taken, whatever it is, they make the decision themselves. And it's important to know that there's no permission required to go into bankruptcy. So it's not the case your creditors or even the government can say, hey, you know what, this relief that you really want, you're not going to get that. We're going to just keep hounding you and hassling you and things like that. Um, In bankruptcy, nobody has the right to stop you from filing for bankruptcy. All you need to do is meet a test of essentially being insolvent. And what insolvent means to me, it means is that you're basically unable to pay your debts as they become due. So if you sold everything you had, could you pay off all your debts? That's one test of being insolvent. Or even if the assets that you have, you know, you've got this house, but you can't sell that because then you don't know where to live. Um, you're still not able to pay your debts. You could be insolvent even if you have some assets, if you're just not able to make your monthly payments. Okay. Now, is there some real criteria? Because I know that there's a money value. Do we ha- do mm-hmm. you have to hit a certain money value to owe before you can enter it? Yeah. And I think 
think this would be one that's very surprising to folks unless they know it. Um, that money value hasn't changed since the law was originally written around the time of the Great Depression, and it's $1,000. $1,000. So, and in the times of the Great Depression, that was mm-hmm. a huge amount of money. You can imagine Today, that was closer to probably fifteen or 20000 back then. Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, it's only $1,000 is what you have to owe before you could be eligible to file for bankruptcy. Now, do I have anybody filing for $1,000? No. No. But I do have some filing for, you know, seven, eight, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, something like that. Um, but just if you think, hey, my problem is not big enough to need the help, well, it's a really individual question. You sure. know, somebody who's earning $1,000 a month, a debt of eight or $10,000 can be very insurmountable. Someone's earning $5,000 a month, a debt of eight or $10,000, well, they'll be able to get themselves under control. Right. So it, what's the process? How do, how do how does one file for bankruptcy in this province? Well, as I mentioned, there's two ways that can be done, but really only one way. So um, the way that's never happens is that, you know, your creditor goes to court and they bring a trustee and they've paid a bunch of money to lawyers and to trustees and then you're declared bankrupt. Again, I've seen that about once in my whole career. Right. The other way is that it's a voluntary assignment where you sit down, you meet with a trustee. Typically, you'll see the trustee at least two to three times um, before you start the filing. You'll sit down, you'll sign some documents with the trustee. The trustee will then register those documents with the government and then you get immediate protection as soon as you file for bankruptcy. There's no court approval. Um, there's no court appearance that's required. You sit down with a trustee and you execute some documents. And when you say trustee, you mean licensed insolvency trustee mm-hmm. and you're one of them. Exactly. There's only a thousand trustees in Canada, give or take, um, you know, around a hundred and so in BC. And at Sands and Associates, we've got about 10 of them. Okay. So um, what uh, what are the some of the common questions you get asked when it comes to bankruptcy one and then you, the eligible debts? Like what, what, gets included in a bankruptcy or mm-hmm. what do I get forgiven in a bankruptcy? Yeah, and that's a huge, huge question because a lot of people have these misconceptions that, oh my God, a bankruptcy can't deal with government debt or it can't deal with student loans or if I borrowed money from a friend or a family member, if I go bankrupt, well, that can't be included. The answer is bankruptcy can deal with just about every debt that you can think of. So looking at a bit of an exhaustive list here, you know, consumer and business debts, things like credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans, consolidated loans, everything like that, all can be included in a bankruptcy. Uh, Income taxes, so again, different than what most people perceive, but amounts owing for personal income taxes, for GST, for business taxes, for payroll remittances if you had an employee and didn't remit the correct amounts, and the interest and penalties on top of those amounts. So essentially all amounts owing to the government can be discharged or dealt with as part of a bankruptcy. Um, Student loans is another area where there's a lot of misconceptions, whether it's federal, provincial, or private. There are some extra protections for federal or provincial loans. You have to be out of school for a set number of years, at least five to seven. Um, But we can talk about that a little bit later. The takeaway there is if you've made a good faith effort to repay your student loans, they can be dealt with in a bankruptcy. Okay. Uh, It's very special to us in BC, ICBC debts. So sometimes it's actually the youngest clients I have in the year and the oldest clients in the year. Sometimes I have a 17-year-old client and, you know, a 92 year old client and oftentimes they have one debt and it's an ICBC debt, you know, either being uninsured uh, or something else where they're held accountable. Um, Secured debts, if you had a mortgage or a car loan and you just wanted to end the commitment, return the vehicle, or if the property is sold at a loss, any of those types of unsecured foreclosure debts could be included. 
Um, and then finally, things like debts owing for a business if you've guaranteed those debts, or as I mentioned before, any personal debts between individuals. So it's almost easier to say what's not included in a bankruptcy, which is a very short list. The long list is the whole point of a bankruptcy is to get you back to owing nobody anything. So it's a pretty all-encompassing ability to deal with debts as part of a bankruptcy. Okay. Now, once I file, uh, does that mean that the harassment starts if I've fallen into that awful cycle? It stops. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the whole point is as soon as you file for bankruptcy, you get what's called a stay of proceedings. So the stay of proceedings, it's a legal term, but what it means is essentially there's a ceasefire. Anything that's happening against you, any collection calls, any court actions, any asset seizures, any wage seizures, all of that has to come to a screeching halt as soon as the trustee is appointed. So if essentially this is a big big um, factor for bankruptcy is just getting that protection, that chance that you need to restructure without having somebody breathing down your neck the entire time. Okay. So what what about the fear, and because this is a big one, that I lose everything if I file for bankruptcy? I mean, that's got to be something that comes up for for folks all the oh, time. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and people often ask me as a trustee, well, how do people even pay? Because if they're going into bankruptcy, you know, they've lost everything at that point. Exactly. And it's usually quite the opposite. Um, people keep just about everything they have when they go through a bankruptcy proceeding. And what they do lose is the debt and the stress and, the, you know, the inability to see a good future. Now, obviously, if you have certain assets, if you've got, you know, a million dollars in the bank or some gold bars or a big house with no mortgage and you've got a little bit of debt, okay, you have to use the assets to pay those debts. But for the most part, people that come to see us, the assets that they have fall under provincial exemptions, which there's a, basically a provincial act called the Court Order Enforcement Act. And it says that no matter what, some things can never be taken from you, whether you go through a bankruptcy, whether you've been sued or something else has happened to you, you're entitled to have a certain base level of possessions, essentially to preserve the dignity of an individual. Right. So those base level of things are household items and clothing. Uh, and household items are exempt up to a large value, up to $4,000 at a garage sale value, which I've never seen someone get more than 4000 at a garage sale for everything in their house. So essentially everything you have in your house is typically considered exempt. Um, clothing and anything you need for medical purposes, those are all exempt to an unlimited amount, you know, a wheelchair, a CPAP machine, all of your clothing, everything like that. No one's ever going to come and take that from you even if you go into a bankruptcy. Um, a vehicle, a lot of people are surprised. You are allowed to have a vehicle uh, of a value of up to $5,000 and it's free and clear. Uh, if there's a loan against the vehicle, then we're just looking at the equity. If the car is worth $25,000, and there's a $23,000 loan against it, well, then it's a $2,000 equity in the vehicle and that person can retain that vehicle as long as it's less than $5,000 of equity. Okay. Um, home equity is quite surprising as well. Um, in the province of BC and the larger metro areas, up to $12,000 of home equity is allowed to be retained if you go into a bankruptcy. So it's not automatic that you lose your house. It's not automatic that you even have to pay something to keep your house. If we look at the mortgage, the mortgage penalty, some transaction costs, if there's less than $12,000 of equity, if you file for bankruptcy, you keep the house, you don't pay anything extra to keep that. Um, a couple last ones that are really important, um, RRSPs. Any of our longtime listeners will know it just kills me when I meet with someone and they've cashed in RRSPs to pay debts. They're fully protected and they can never be taken from you, um, as well as work tools, tools of the trade, things that you need to earn income. Um, those are protected up to quite a large value as well. And then finally, any pension plans, any life insurance, if they've got a, a designated beneficiary like a spouse or a child or a parent, all of those things are exempt. So for the vast majority of folks, that I see when they come in to see me, maybe they've got a vehicle, but it's finance. There's not a whole lot of, of equity there. They usually don't have a house, but if they do, usually the house is pretty well maxed out to the mortgage. So they tend to keep the house and the car, their furniture, they keep just about everything, but they do get rid of the debt. 
Okay. So as we sort of wind down on this segment, and we're, we're going to talk about this some more, um, who, who knows? Who finds out if I file for bankruptcy? It's pretty private. So theoretically, if someone wanted to go to the courthouse and search public records, they could do so. Uh, I'm a trustee, and I don't even know the steps to tell you how to do that, so I don't think anyone really does it. Um, But essentially, I have to notify the people that you owe money to, so the creditors, so anybody that you owe money to, the banks, the the government, if there's an income tax debt or things like that, they get informed because otherwise they're going to keep collecting from you. But other than that, the trustee is aware, the creditors are aware, and that's it. There's nothing in the newspaper for about 99.9% of bankruptcy cases. Nothing happens in the newspaper. Um, There's nothing easily searchable online, so it's generally a pretty private process. And do my creditors have to agree to me uh, filing for bankruptcy like they do in a consumer proposal? No, absolutely not. So that's a really important piece of that, a big difference, I guess. And that's why they're willing to accept a proposal because there's an option. If they say no, well, the person can just file a bankruptcy and the creditors have to deal with it, it. which is usually going to require them to get nothing back on their debts and write the whole thing off. And I know lots of people are always concerned um, about their credit report. Mm-hmm. And what kind of impact does a bankruptcy have on that? Yeah, well, it's not good. <laughs> so we'll start there. Sure. So anytime you don't pay your debts back in full, your credit takes a hit. But most of the time, if people actually sketch it out, your credit's going to rebuild far quicker going through a bankruptcy than it would if you had to sit down, pay off all the debt over time with all the interest charges. Bankruptcy, once you finish it, it clears from your credit six years from that date of discharge. But most people within two to three years of finishing a bankruptcy, they could get a mortgage, they could have rebuilt their credit better than when they started. Uh, We haven't covered all the questions for sure, so this is how you can find out more answers. The website, sans-trustee.com, is terrific. It's filled with questions and answers, really nicely laid out and asked and answered. Or you can give them a call. It's nice and easy to do as well. Their Sands & Associates number is toll-free at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars & Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So I love, I love these segments because we talk about a lot of different pieces uh, that are myths, that are beliefs that a lot of people have about situations when it comes to debt and comes to money and, and comes to solutions. Uh, and they are, and we get to debunk them. We get mm-hmm. to give them the good information and say, no, this is the path you want to be on, not on this one, because this one doesn't end well, this one well. Mm-hmm. I love this. So, um, and, and that's my opinion. Why yeah. do you think this is such an important topic? Yeah, you know, I think I often joke half jokingly with my clients saying, you know, my life's purpose being on this earth is to make people aware of consumer proposals, to make them aware of bankruptcy. It's not what you think, and it can really save your life if you're in a tough situation. So, you know, we survey our clients every year. We come out with a big debt study, and the thing that's consistent of people who, you know, delay getting help um, or, you know, really suffer for longer than they should is that they just didn't know where to get help. They didn't know what the options were that were available to them. They thought there was no solution. They're already feeling ashamed. Um, and a little bit worried about it, but they just didn't know that there are options for them to actually turn their life around. So, you know, from us, 
from our perspective, you know, we just want to help the clients have a better tomorrow. And when people tell us they think there's no solution, they don't know where to turn for help, and that they would have actually taken action sooner if they had been aware of how a bankruptcy or a proposal actually works, well, that's our motivation for doing segments like this. Cool. All right. So let's let's start by talking about a little bit about why you think this segment's so important for people who have debt, as well as for those who don't have debt. Well, for people who have debt, again, it's all about easing the suffering and making them not you know, languish for so long. The average time is about two years from when someone knows they've got a problem, they should be getting some help, to when they're actually sitting down with the trustee and, and figuring things out. So that's two years of often lost time. And that's a long time to be stressed mm-hmm. and upset and frustrated and worried. Absolutely. It can be all-consuming. It can impact your health, your physical and mental health, your relationships, socially, everything like that can be a part of you being in debt. And then for someone who doesn't have debt, well, you're in the minority these days, it would seem, but definitely someone in your life a loved one or just an acquaintance, somebody is going to be going through a tough time in their life. And if you know, if you just have a little bit of knowledge to help the person through it, if they say, oh my God, I owe the government money, but I know nobody can ever help me with that. You say, well, no, I heard the show on CKNW and the guy said, oh, he can absolutely help. Why don't you reach out? Right. You know, just being able to be that little bit of a lifesaver to someone, a uh, shelter from the storm, that can be all the value for a friend or family member in trouble. So what's the number one myth that people have? Well, I don't know if these are in any particular order. Okay. Um, but or what's one, the first yeah, one? one to start with is just all about tax debt. And anyone that listens to us for any period of time, we come back to this a lot because it's such a deeply held myth that people think there's nothing you can do if you owe the government money. And the answer is there's absolutely a lot you can do if you owe the government money, but you need to work with a trustee to do it. So if you want to negotiate a deal with the government, if you owe them a bunch of money, but you know you can only pay them back a half of the amount or a third or a quarter, a trustee can help you do that through what's called a consumer proposal. Very successful with those. Almost always they get accepted. If you owe the government a ton of money and maybe the government's just one of a bunch of people that you owe money to, bankruptcy is the quickest and least expensive option for someone to get back to zero. And if you go into bankruptcy, all of your debts, including tax debt, can be discharged or eliminated at the end of it. So if you've got someone that's feeling hopeless and saying, oh my God, you owe the government money, nothing can be done for you. Absolutely, that's a myth. You have a lot of options, but they have to come through a trustee. Do you want to talk about the uh, the Limitations Act and how that affects people that yeah. they may not know? Yeah. So, you know, one big myth, people think, oh, my God, if I owe a debt, I owe that debt forever. And if you're talking about government debt, that's pretty well true. There's no limitation period. But everything other than government debt, there's only a two-year statute of limitations in the province of BC. And we've covered this in the past. We'll cover it in the future. But it means if, you've really, if you're really unable to pay a debt that you owed... Um, People can't collect from you forever. They can't hold, you know, a sword over your head for the rest of your life. They've got to decide within a two-year period if they're going to take you to court for payment, and that requires them to put up some money for courts, for lawyers, and things like that. The vast majority of cases, if someone really can't pay the debt, you can't get blood from a stone, they often don't get sued. And a two-year statute of limitation period can make a whole lot of sense to give somebody a little bit of breathing room saying, okay, if I really can't afford to pay this and I don't want to deal with it in a bankruptcy or a proposal, um, I do have some options that give me protection just by doing nothing over a period of two years. Excellent. So the next one uh, is about, and I know that people uh, are, often people are very concerned about credit and how, and the impact that a bankruptcy or, or a consumer proposal can have on your credit. Yeah, this one frustrates me because I see a lot of, you know, whether it's credit counselors or financial advisors, sometimes I see them quoted in the papers and they're saying, you know, I'm happy you avoided bankruptcy and the lifelong credit impact that can bring. Like, show me the lifelong credit impact, guys. So what happens when you file a bankruptcy is six years after you finish the bankruptcy, if someone pulls a credit report, they're going to see that you filed for bankruptcy, okay? They're also going to see that you've got no debt 
right? And if you were $100,000 in debt going through a bankruptcy, a couple of years after that bankruptcy, you're a much better credit risk than you were when you had $100,000 in debt. So theoretically, yeah, if someone asks you, have you ever filed for bankruptcy? You have to answer yes to that question. Yes. But typically within two to three years of a bankruptcy being filed, you could be qualifying for a mortgage. You could be getting credit card offers, car loans, all this stuff without a crazy risk premium. The best people to talk to on this are either trustees, obviously, uh, or a mortgage broker. Just talk to any mortgage broker. Say, have you ever worked with somebody after a bankruptcy or a proposal? They'll probably all say yes. And they say, well, what was the timing? Two to three years of really good credit rebuilding can take anybody to the point where they could be considered for a mortgage or a car loan after a bankruptcy. So this fixation on a lifelong impact to your credit, all it does is keep people focused on the wrong things, which is keeping trying to keep a perfect credit rating at the expense of ever dealing with your debt or ever building wealth. So it's not a lifelong impact most of the time. The lifelong impact is positive because you got rid of that debt that was going to follow you forever, and now you're moving forward with no debt. I, I would think that this myth, this next one too, is one of those that has been around for a very long time and that it would stop people from taking action mm-hmm. or finding out more because what's the point? I'm going to lose everything mm-hmm. if I become bankrupt or file for bankruptcy. And that's just not true. No. No, and most people keep everything as they go through a bankruptcy. Most people retain all of their assets. We've talked about it before, but you keep all your RRSPs, you keep your pension plans, you generally keep a vehicle, you can even keep a house with a mortgage against it. So most of the time, people don't liquidate a whole lot of assets if they go through a bankruptcy and the assets that they think that they might lose, you know, hey, when someone's showing up to my house to take my furniture, that doesn't happen in Canada. All that stuff is considered exempt assets. Most people going through bankruptcy, they pay based on their income. Sure, there are some assets that you would lose if you got, you know, $50,000 of shares in a corporation you could liquidate tomorrow. Sorry, you got to liquidate that to pay your debts. But most people don't have that. Most people don't have a whole lot of assets and the ones they do have, they typically keep. And I would think a cue for you uh, that you need to seek some professional help with your money situation is if you're contemplating cashing in your RSPs. Oh, absolutely. If you're, if you're even thinking about that, go and see a trustee because I've never seen an example where that was the right decision. I've seen so many examples where it did a temporary thing, you know, temporarily it band-aided the situation because the debt went down a little bit, but then the tax bill showed up and then the habits didn't change and suddenly the debt's back up and now the person doesn't have the RRSPs to deal with it. A um, w- w- couple of other things as we close out this segment. Um, I like this fast fact that licensed insolvency trustees are the only government-endorsed debt help. Yeah. So if you see something, you know, not-for-profit charity service, that's not a trustee. The only person that can help you with your debt, whether it's government debt, non-government debt, help you with a bankruptcy or a proposal, is a licensed insolvency trustee. And we're government endorsed because we use the law. It's federal law is what governs a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. It's not something wishy-washy. So the only government endorsed debt solutions are a bankruptcy and a proposal. The only individuals that can help you with that is a licensed insolvency trustee. And there's a thousand in Canada mm-hmm. and you're one of them. Absolutely. All right. The other last one that we're going to cover in this segment is signs of a debt problem, not always what I think. How does that work? You know, a lot of people say, okay, I'm getting collection calls. My wages are being taken. Well, you know, for sure that's a sign of a debt problem. But the most prevalent one, the one that we've just heard again and again, is just did you feel stressed? Were you worrying about your debts constantly? Were you really concerned about ever paying off your debts? Or were you only making your minimum payments each month? So it's often you think you're doing just fine. Your credit rating would say so. But if you know you're just making your minimum payments and you're starting to feel really stressed, that's a really big indicator of a debt problem. And if you've got questions, uh, connect with somebody 
at Sands and Associates. Uh, they've got locations all over the province. You just have to call the toll-free number at one 800 661 Or if you if you feel more comfortable, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we're talking about bankruptcy, and in this segment, we're going to go a little deeper, a little more detailed. And the whole purpose being that licensed insolvency trustees are the one professional endorsed and qualified to help anybody through bankruptcy, meaning, you know, a consumer, personal bankruptcy, or business bankruptcy. So around the fears and misconceptions, Understandings about it. That's the stuff we're going to mm-hmm. answer here. Now, the first thing I want to ask you is, and I'm sure it's on the list of things that people ask you when mm-hmm. they come in the door, is the cost. What does it actually cost me to file for bankruptcy? Yeah, a lot of people have some misconceptions that you have to save up a bunch of money. You have to give the trustee a retainer, or it's going to cost you, a, you know, basically turn over your firstborn when you file the bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, the answer is it's pretty reasonable, and you know, reasonable obviously depends on your circumstances. But the way the government sets out bankruptcy is they divide clients into two categories. So one is a low income category, and that means for a single person, are you earning below roughly $2,200 per month after tax, take-home pay, after child support if applicable, and things like that. If you're considered low income, bankruptcy runs for nine months, and instead of paying your debts, you don't make any payments on the debts, you pay the trustee $200 a month for those nine months. So for most simple bankruptcy cases where somebody is low income, they run for nine months and the person pays a total of $1,800 over those nine months. Okay. If somebody's not low income, well, then it's based on a percentage of income, how far above the income guidelines are they, um, and oftentimes we tend to look at a proposal. But for 80% of cases when people file for bankruptcy, they are low income, it's nine months, it's $1,800. Okay. And do you want to just recap the very basic first question that just in case somebody's just tuned in and went, well, bankruptcy, yeah, well, what the well, heck what, is that? <laughs> what, is exactly, what does it mean exactly? Yeah, and bankruptcy, it's a legal option. It's available to anybody in Canada who owes more than $1,000, is not able to pay those debts as they become due. Uh, and bankruptcy allows you to basically restart. It allows you to have a fresh financial start working with a trustee. You file a number of documents, you complete a number of duties over a period of time, usually about nine months, with the idea that you're going to emerge from a bankruptcy at the end of about nine months, owing nobody anything, starting over financially, rebuilding your credit and taking it from there. Okay. Now, I bet one of the, the biggest questions that people would have, and it certainly would be if I was if I was looking at it, what about the tax debt? Do, how does that fit into a bankruptcy for people? Yeah. And tax debt is something, again, most people get very despondent about because they feel like, oh my God, I've got no power against the government. If they say, I've got to pay this, I've got to pay this until I'm not here anymore. You know, the answer is bankruptcy can absolutely deal with tax debt. It can deal with interest and penalties, with income taxes, with GST, with business taxes owing, just about any amount owing to the government can be dealt with as part of a bankruptcy. And in fact, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, it's about the only way that you're going to be able to make a deal or get away from the tax debt here. Because otherwise, unless you're going to fight them in court for, you know, five to 10 years or more,
more and spend you know tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, there are very few avenues of actually dealing with the tax debt outside of either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So short answer is yes, we can deal with it. Okay. And the other thing I want to add, because I think this is important, uh, is that filing for bankruptcy with a large tax debt does not get you out of filing the proper tax forms. Mm -hmm. If you're one of those people who hasn't filed income tax forever, you still are going to have to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're listening now and you're saying, oh my God, I don't even know how much I owe because I haven't filed taxes in five or 10 years, the worst possible category you can be in with the government is somebody who's a non-filer. You know, they, they understand people get into trouble with taxes, but they can't understand that someone will go years upon years of just not filing any returns. They see that as kind of thumbing their nose at the system. So if you go through a bankruptcy or even a proposal, it's imperative that you take this chance to have a fresh start and you really do turn things around, that you get all your filings done in up to date, you pay any new balances owing as they're required to the extent that if you filed for bankruptcy and you know six, eight months go by, your earning income is your self-employed, you're not paying the government anything, they're probably going to object to you even finishing that first bankruptcy. They can't stop you from filing it, but they can have something to say about you getting away from the debt if you haven't changed your conduct. So it's really important for you to file those returns. Um, You know, one point that I kind of skipped over a little bit when we say we can deal with tax debt is the other point there, Elaine, is we can actually deal with the harassment and the impact of tax debt. So if someone's having their wages seized or if they're, you know, being threatened that, oh my God, their clients are going to have to pay the government instead of them directly, a trustee can step in the middle and put all that stuff to rest, put a stop to it if there's a bankruptcy filed. And the other thing I want to throw in too uh, is that uh, you're not leaving it all up to me or you're going to help me through that process of mm-hmm. getting those tax forms done properly. There's there's pieces of it that you will help me with. Oh yeah, a lot of times with clients, it's, you know, help me help you. So as yeah. long as you can get me all the information, okay, there's three or four years of taxes that need to be done. We'll work together. We'll either find a good accountant that can help you or with my tax team, we'll get you caught up if it's pretty simple. As you go forward, we'll be checking in on you and saying, okay, you're earning some income here. You're paying the government, right? Yep. You know how to do that? Okay. Uh, It's pretty easy these days to get the government paid. You just go online and do it or you write them a check. So yeah, if people need pointers, we're always here for that, but it is the individual's responsibility to figure out what to do. For sure. I understand that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about student loans? Um, Could somebody go bankrupt on student loans? Yeah. The short answer is yes. Because they got to be huge for some people. Yeah. You know, a lot of people view this student loans, and you know, especially down south, and I think here as well, is really the next ticking time bomb of a really big debt problem. Yeah. You know, a lot of people coming out of school, um, you know, big student loans, not earning the income that they anticipated to be earning. Um, so it just becomes a period of time sometimes until people kind of lose their their hope that they'll ever get out from underneath a student loan. Uh, the way student loans work, there's essentially two types in Canada. There's some that are government-sponsored, you know, either federal or provincial student loans. Those are a little bit different, and we'll talk about those. And there are those that are privately sponsored, so something, you know, directly through the bank. Sometimes they want to co-sign or sometimes not. If you're going through some professional um, education programs, like maybe being a doctor or a lawyer or a chiropractor, Practitioner, naturopath. Some banks have really good programs set up where they're not government loans, they're private student loans. I okay? see. If you file for bankruptcy, if you have a private student loan, there's no waiting period at all. So someone, as soon as they finish their schooling, they could theoretically file a bankruptcy on that student loan. Now, would that make a whole lot of sense? No, uh, because typically they finish their schooling with the hope that they're going to be earning enough income to pay this loan back over time. So I think I've had one or two examples over my career where it's just someone had a very significant health change right at the end of their professional education, didn't know they would ever practice as a doctor, as a lawyer in these cases, and they had to go bankrupt on their private student loans and they could do that. Now, if it's a government student loan, the government has enshrined in the law a protection for them, and not for you, but for them, um, that it has to be at least five years since you were last a student 
for a student loan that's uh, guaranteed by the government to be written off in either a bankruptcy or a proposal. And it's easier if it's been more than seven years. So if someone comes to see me, if it's been, you know, six and a half years, for example, sometimes I'll be saying, okay, well, if you feel like you can get through the next, you know, three to six months until it's been seven years, then this student loan debt becomes just the same as every other debt and it can be dealt with. If you file where it's more than five years, but less than seven years, there's an extra court application that you have to make showing the, the courts essentially why you should be discharged from the student loan. And if you're past seven years, you don't have to make that application. So Got there's it. a few different roles, a few different rules, and I can understand there's some common sense basis. You want people to really make their best effort to make the best use of their education to repay what they can. But if you've tried, it's been more than, again, the seven years is the easiest point. If it's been more than seven years, um, absolutely a bankruptcy can deal with student loans. And if I come in your door and have that question again, you're going to be able to explain it to me. So it's not like mm-hmm. people have to, you know, take all these notes. No. There's lots of ways to get this good information. Oh, yeah. That's our life's work is just to answer these questions, give people the information that they need to make good decisions. Are there any debts that serve survive a bankruptcy? There are. Um, Essentially, these are the ones that I think we would say common sense-wise they should survive a bankruptcy. Um, So just going through a bit of a list here, things like child and spousal support. I think there's anybody that says you should be able to essentially absolve your responsibility for taking care of your family by going through a bankruptcy or a proposal. So if there are amounts owing for child or spousal support or FMEP enforcement, um, those types of amounts still are required to be paid uh, in either a bankruptcy or a proposal. Um, secondly is fines imposed by a court. So if you're held accountable for something, whether it's, you know, physical or, or mental distress to somebody else sure. and the court has imposed a fine, you're on the hook for paying that fine. You can't go bankrupt and suddenly be absolved from that. Uh, money owing for things stolen. Well, it makes a whole lot of sense. You can't go out and steal something and then say, hey, I'm going to go bankrupt and not be held accountable for that debt. That would come through the other side. Um, anything to do with fraudulent pretenses, false pretenses, fraudulent misrepresentations, um, and then a couple other things, you know, awards of damages if you intentionally inflicted bodily harm or sexual assault. Sure. And it's all these things where you'd say, hey, I don't think someone should be able to go bankrupt to get away from that. And you're right. You can't hurt somebody and then suddenly be absolved from the debt. But any other debt that I haven't listed here, and again, the student loans with the five to seven years, as we talked about, that's the pretty short list of what you can't deal with as part of a bankruptcy. Everything else is pretty well fair game. And most of the time, what I see is just honest debt incurred by people because they just had a tough time in their lives. Is there sort of a list of questions that you always hear about the process of bankruptcy from folks that they don't, that they need more clarification? Is there is there some mm-hmm. stuff that we could handle with that with this in this segment? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of the process, a lot of people just want to know, well, what's it going to take to file this bankruptcy? You know, some people call us in the morning and want to have it filed by the afternoon. And it is possible to do that, but uh, <laughs> most of the time you're going to meet with the trustee generally about three times. You'll have a first initial meeting with the trustee. You'll talk about the entire situation, figure out what all the options are, whether it's a bankruptcy or proposal, just some informal counseling, some coaching, things like that. If you decide, okay, I think a bankruptcy or proposal makes a lot of sense, well, then the trustee will say, okay, here's the information I need you to bring back. So let's get a pay stub from you. Uh, Let's get your car registration. Let's get your last year's taxes, things like that. That's our second meeting to review information. It's in our third meeting is when you typically be signing the documents for either a bankruptcy or a proposal. That would be the start of the process. So those meetings can happen in a series of three days. They could potentially be in a couple days or a lot of people, they go, you know, about a two to three week process from when they've reached out to us. They've done a lot of thinking. They've got all their information together and then they sign for the documents. Okay, cool. Um, now, the other thing that, that Sands and Associates does, and I, and I don't know if all licensed insolvency trustees, but there's certainly something that you guys do, and that is offering um, some pretty significant sit down, going through uh, the counseling process mm-hmm. for folks. Like, how did you get there? 
there in the first place. Let's talk about that so it so it doesn't happen again, I guess, yeah. is the number one reason. And that's the whole idea. So the, the thought of bankruptcy is that it's not, and people have used this metaphor, it's not a car wash that, hey, you've got the debt on the outside, you scrub all that off, but you're still unchanged inside. Bankruptcy is supposed to be give, to give you a chance to really look at things from the inside out, to understand what are the key factors that caused you to have this issue and how do you deal with those again in the future to avoid it. And then also after the bankruptcy is complete, how are you going to get yourself back on your feet to rebuild your credit, to make sure you're earning enough income to support a lifestyle and to understand these warning signs if they happen again. So every person that files for bankruptcy in Canada has to attend two financial counseling sessions. So every trustee provides these services. Uh, At Sands & Associates, we think we do the best job. We take it very, very seriously. You know, we love when people refer their friends or their family members to us, but it's not our goal to have a repeat bankruptcy or a proposal client. We want to give them all the tools that they can can have in the future so they don't need us again. And this is something that somebody has to learn how to do to be an insolvency counselor. It's not like any anybody could do it. No, no, it takes a pretty rigorous course of study, a whole lot of experience, over 100 sessions being observed with another trustee. Um, so yeah, when you're getting counseling, it's def- generally top top quality. So if this sounds like you, or you know somebody who's in this situation, and they've got a lot of questions and they need some help, or you know, in fact, that help is needed, contact your local Sands & Associates representative. They're there to answer your questions, help you get that financial fresh start that we talk about in each and every segment. And calling Sands and Associates is easy to do. You can do it toll-free at 1-800-661-3030 or visit their website. It's really good, chock full of good information, and that's at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about tax and CRA, Canada Revenue Debts. And it's got to be number that one of the big things that sort of really caves in on people if they're Mm -hmm. in a financial situation or a bad financial situation, uh, all the different kinds of debts. So um, I guess we're sort of asking the question, a consumer proposal or bankruptcy, either one can be helpful. Uh, Let's dig down a little bit on CRA debt first. um, And what happens if you can't, what happens if you can't pay it? Mm -hmm. First thing. You know, a lot of people feel that... um, government tax debt, CRA debt is about the worst type of debt that you can have the worst person to owe money to. And, you know, maybe aside from, you know, a brother or sister who could be very adamant or a parent or somebody, uh, they're absolutely right. They uh, are. Meaning that CRA is the most difficult creditor to deal with and they've got the most amount of power at their disposal. And that's, to me, what makes them so difficult is mm-hmm. that they do have the maximum amount of power and there's yeah. no wiggle room. And and I know that you're going to talk about how there is some negotiation and stuff that can happen, but boy, oh boy, it's pretty challenging. Yeah. And, and if you don't know, you know, your rights, your responsibilities, your options, you know, sometimes you'll do completely the wrong thing for your personal situation because you're taking advice from the wrong person. So even just yesterday, Elaine, these aren't on the notes, but I had someone come in to see me and had a really interesting meeting with the gentleman. You know, he had a corporation. He stopped using the corporation about a year ago and he owed CRA about $20,000. It was kind of evenly split between corporate tax amounts and GST amounts. Um, and the CRA agent told him, okay, you need to start paying these amounts literally 
tomorrow or I'll be seizing your wages. And so the person went and they got a line of credit and they paid down both of those amounts pretty well equally. Didn't eliminate them, but paid them both down equally. It's only when I sat down with him yesterday and I told him, you know, if you were shutting down the corporation anyway, the corporate tax, you would never have had to pay that. If you had just cleared the GST, you would have eliminated one of the debts, the only debt that could have attached to you, and you would have been better off. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say, be very careful when you're deciding about different types of CRA debt, because sometimes the advice, even from a CRA agent, is going to be self-serving and not to your benefit. Uh, That's just a little aside there. Um, So in terms of what CRA can do if you don't pay your tax debt, well, first off, they're going to charge interest to compounds daily, um, as well as penalties for late filed returns. So after a certain point, there'll be a lump sum penalty, and then the interest is going to start to accumulate. They'll start to take any monies owing to you from the government and apply them against your debt. So things like a GST or an HST credit uh, or amounts like a tax refund. If you owe them money from a previous year, they're not going to give you your tax refund this year until they paid off that previous amount. What can be very shocking is CRA can seize your bank account um, or put a freeze on the funds. They usually do that to really get your attention. And my God, it works. Yeah, um, but very for folks, quickly. Yeah, who haven't filed for a few years, oftentimes that'll be the first notion that things aren't good and that CRA has now frozen in their bank account to get them to file those returns. Uh, in escalating severity here is they can start to garnish your income or seize your income on a monthly basis. And they can do this for employment income, do this for self-employment income, even CPP or Canada Pension Plan, OIS, Old Age Security, and EI benefits, just about any amounts the government can put their claims on for a garnishee if you owe them money. And then finally, they can start to come after your assets. So they could register a lien against your property. And it would be just like another mortgage when the property is sold, that lien has to get paid. Um, or they can come and, you know, start to take vehicles or, you know, other assets that have high value. It's typically less common, but they would typically put a lien on, on real estate if that's present there. So they've got just a ton of, of um, options for them to pursue their debt. And all of these can happen with little to no notice to you. It can just become just like a smack in the face. Got it. Now, do you come across people who haven't filed uh, income tax? Oh, yeah, every day. That's <laughs> That to me is... Uh... I'm always surprised when I hear that. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just a couple of years and I can definitely understand that sometimes it's five to 10 years and usually there's something significant that happened there. Maybe the person was very ill. Sometimes it's 20 years of returns and I'm just amazed the person's been able to, you know, live off the grid, so to speak, for that long. Well, that's the other thing because the federal government, I mean, the CRA can attach itself like you outlined yeah. to so many different areas of your life. Oh yeah, so people will, you know, start to use other people's bank accounts. You know, it's a cat and mouse game that never has a positive outcome for the individual. Be incredibly and- stressful too. Well, exactly. But then also, if you think about it, you've been off the grid for 20 years, you're not putting anything into CPP. So right. expect the benefit when you're 65. It's not going to be there if you right. haven't put any money into or it. Or your OAS. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the only way you're going to get arrested for tax debt in this country is not for owing them a ton of money. That's not the issue. But if it goes 20 years without tax returns, then yeah, they can send a warrant out for your arrest. Okay. What often happens too is CRA just gets tired of waiting and they do what's called an arbitrary assessment on your taxes, especially if you're self-employed. They'll just get from all the banks you're banking in information for the year. They'll say that every dollar that came in was revenue and they probably won't allow you very many expenses. And they'll say, well, there's your tax return. You disprove that to us which is pretty tough to do. And usually the tax return has a big balance owing, a big interest and penalties on top of it. So if they arbitrarily assess you, you're typically in a tough spot there. Okay. Boy, oh boy. And like you said, CRA is a very, very powerful creditor. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you don't want to 
You don't want to mess. You want to see you. That's what I'd want to do is go well, see you. That's it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll start with trying to contest things with the CRA agent. Okay, you'll, you'll get so far there. And if there are, you know, clear errors in fact, they'll correct those. Uh, but the CRA agent's got no ability to help you make a deal on your taxes. The best thing they can do is say, okay, pay me over six months, equal payment plan, and then we can be okay. But if it's anything more than that, you know, the only way that you can make a deal with the CRA is typically through a bankruptcy or through a consumer proposal. In a bankruptcy, all the debt is written off and you repay what you have to based on your income. Whereas in a proposal, it's more of a negotiation with the creditor. Um, you know, I had a proposal just this week. It was for about 40 cents on the dollar to CRA. Sometimes we have them as low as 18 to 20 cents, but it's somewhere in that range typically. And in any event, you've got to see a licensed insolvency trustee. And if you don't know what one is, let's just touch on that. Yeah. So a licensed insolvency trustee uh, is the best qualified and the only person that's eligible to help you file either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Those are the remedies that can deal with tax debt. So not a credit counselor, not an informal advisor, only a trustee can actually help you with either a bankruptcy or a proposal to deal with the tax debt. And there's still only about a thousand in this country that are doing this work. Yeah. They released the uh, annual exam results just a couple weeks ago now, and it was about a 55% failure rate, which was very discouraging uh, to, you know, young people going through through it, but those that do persevere, there's about a thousand trustees in Canada and the need is not going away anytime soon, but it's a very rigorous course to study. So, that, Yeah, I was going to add that too. Yeah, you've, you've, it's, a, it's a tough one to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, so what types of uh, CRA debt can be forgiven through a bankruptcy or consumer proposal? What kind of stuff can, can we forgive? Yeah, it's pretty well any type of CRA debt becomes treated just like every other type of debt. So just like a credit card, uh, meaning that even in a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, they can either be negotiated down or eliminated completely. So debts like income tax debt, you file your return, you end up owing the government money, that can definitely be included in a bankruptcy or a proposal. Uh, GST and HST credit or Canada Child Benefit overpayments. Um, so if you received amounts in error and the government wants them back, but you don't have the money anymore, well, then you can deal with that as a bankruptcy your proposal. Uh, business GST or HST debt, that's really important. So a lot of self-employed individuals, they can get behind on GST, they can get behind on source deductions and things like that. Um, those can be dealt with as part of a bankruptcy or a proposal. And then any interest or penalties that are on the above noted debts, they're all included as well as part of a bankruptcy or a proposal. Okay. So we've got a couple of questions about uh, consolidating tax debt. And and the questions are, uh, how does it work to do that in a consumer proposal? And what about writing off tax debt in a personal bankruptcy? Can you just talk briefly about the difference of the mm-hmm. two? Yeah. And I like the phrase consolidating the tax debt. That's essentially what you're doing. When you do a consumer proposal, you're consolidating all of your debts. So the credit cards, student loans, income taxes, source deductions, all of those get put into one lump sum amount. And it's just a question of what you can afford to repay on that amount. So typically, um, if your debts are, say, $50,000, you'd be offering a proposal in the range of 30% of that amount, so maybe about $15,000. So if someone came in to me, they're owing $50,000, they don't know what they're going to be able to do to pay this off, maybe the government's threatening to seize their wages or their assets, we might be able to look at a proposal for about $250 a month over a term of up to 60 months, and that would give everybody back roughly a 30% repayment on the debt. Okay. If it's a case where even a 30% repayment is way too high to contemplate, maybe there's years and years of taxes where, you know, high amounts owing just haven't been able to be paid, uh, a bankruptcy can operate to essentially reduce the debt down to zero. And what the person has to pay, as I mentioned earlier, is just set by their monthly income. So if they're considered low income, bankruptcy is going to run for nine months and cost them $1,800. If they're not low income, bankruptcy is going to run for about a year longer than that. And the amounts they have to pay are set by their income. So a lot of 
perplexed you when you get to really high amounts of income tax debt, but essentially anything under roughly $200,000, the scenarios that I've mentioned to you here would apply. For more information, give Sands and Associates that toll-free call at 1-800-661-3030. Visit the website sands-trustee.com as well to book your confidential free debt consultation and meet with an advisor to go further. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.